Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest, and then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have, so let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. When it comes to strategic partnerships, surgery centers have many options to choose from, but timing is everything. Blake Pert is the managing director of Vertes, and he's on the show this week to chat about when it is the right time to consider a strategic partner, key indicators that it's time, potential benefits and advantages, and how to identify the right partner. In our news recap, we'll cover National Nurses Month, Regional Anesthesia, the latest breakthrough in AI imaging, and of course, end the new segment with a positive story about the first RSV vaccine. For those of you who stopped by the booth at ASCA a few weeks ago or attended either of our sessions, thank you for spending a few minutes of your time with us in Louisville. And next week's episode that will come out on June 6th will be a full ASCA recap, so make sure to tune in. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in Surgery Centers. Blake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Can you tell us to start a little bit about your firm, Vertes, and where you guys focus in terms of working with ASCs? Absolutely. So uh, Vertes is a M&A firm. It's a kind of an intermediary firm, we call it, which uh, we're part of the facilitation process of taking someone to market. We do about 90% sell side work and maybe about 10% buy side work. So our focus is primarily on sell side. So when a person wants to go to market, they want to either sell their business completely or they want to do a recap, have a strategic partner come in. Uh, we're you know, a great group to basically start at evaluate them at first, give them a full evaluation of what we feel our company will bring to, to the market. Uh, you know, trends and comps, we do a full uh, evaluation with this. At that point in time, if they decide to, you know, sign and sign with us with the other information we presented on how we take people to market, what's unique about us, then we'll, we'll take them on board and, and uh, go through the whole entire process. It's a pretty lengthy process, about six to eight months to, uh, to sell someone and to get them to find the right buyer for them. So, yeah, great. It's a difficult process. Okay. Thanks for that overview. And there's so much, so much going on, Blake, right now in the ASC industry in particular as it relates to consolidation, capital inflows, acquisitions, partner buyouts. You know, what do you think is driving this influx of capital and, and increased interest within the ASC segment of healthcare in particular? No, it's a great question. And part of, part of it is it's, it goes back for a number of years. And then you have this current changes in the recent years that have really facilitated this growth in the markets and on both the seller and buyer side. So right now they estimate there's about $1.8 trillion in private equity at the moment that's sitting there. Um, and so this is something, obviously there's a lot of investors, venture capital, a lot of strategics out there that are looking to acquire ASC as one part of a healthcare platform. And so there's a lot of opportunity with this. What I've seen uh, for, from my perspective as someone who was an operator of, of ASCs for, for a number of years, I and we acquired some uh, privately owned ASCs for the, the large strategic companies that I represented. And we saw, you know, 
what the benefits were when a group of physicians, surgeons, had kind of reached that point in their life where they're thinking, you know, where can we take this from here? How can we grow further? How can we create the right retirement for ourselves? Well, how can we create the right legacy for ourselves? How can we take some chips off the table that now we're having to address on our own where we can get some support with these issues? And so that's something that we're able to bring to the table uh, as far as finding a strategic partner. That's a very important option for them. The key is what's the right partner for you and what are the terms of finding that right partner? And I think that's where we're able to help people you know, direct them and, and, and find that right niche. To your point about what's changed recently, well, we had this whole thing called COVID. And if you know, ASCs were probably hit the hardest during that process, meaning you know, obviously a lot of elective procedures. So uh, depending on what state you're in, with lockdowns and some of the regulations, you may have been hit harder than other places. And so with that being said, a lot of, even some of the larger players who are still privately owned, who were thinking, you know, we really don't want to be acquired. We like how things are being run at this moment. Now we're saying, how do we mitigate some of this risk? We took a really hard hit. And, you know, how do we start to take some chips off the table, have another company come in that can help absorb some of these risks that we, we had to endure all of our on ourselves? And a lot of surgery centers probably own were decimated. I mean, some never recovered. So this has also really pushed the movement to this, to, to kind of have that acquisition process move forward uh, that I think just came from some of the, the experiences with COVID. And then some of it's just a matter of you're, you're getting punished for good behavior. You've grown it to a point to where, as a surgeon, you're having to address a lot of issues that really that's not what you went to school for. You know, you make money doing surgeries. No one else can do that but you. And when you're sitting here playing HR director, you know, office manager, and, and you're having to go through all these different things with ASC, it's probably time to find a partner that can help you mitigate some of those processes. Got it. That's, that's helpful in terms of getting the lay of the land in terms of the different trigger points. Um, and, and do you think that the, those kind of trigger points and dynamics that you mentioned are driving more, you know, M&A activity, more strategic partner interest and in ASCs versus other segments of healthcare? Or do you see these general trends um, kind of going on within the healthcare, healthcare landscape overall? I think it's overall, but when you start looking at certain lanes, you'll see it elevated and, and then less than others. Uh, for instance, urgent cares, uh, just an example, they did very well during COVID. And then, but those numbers were rather artificially inflate, inflated, right? So I, I wrote an article a while back on, you know, what's reoccurring and non-reoccurring COVID revenue. How do buyers look at this and say, how do we look at, at a business and know they've recovered well? These are true numbers now. Uh, and exposed to what they were getting at one point in time. That was very unique. That's not going to be repeated. You know, at least we hope not. And so this is something that I think that some businesses had to wait a while. 22 was a very good litmus test for a lot of businesses, including ASCs, on how they recovered, how they ramped back up. And it kind of went through that because everyone basically judges things pretty much on a 12-month trailing EBITDA and revenue, so, you know, margins. So they want to see that that you know, bandwidth go through that those things have been alleviated. They've had, they've kind of gone back to what's normal. And so now this is a great time for them to, to move forward. 22 was not a good year for MA for primarily a lot of those reasons. Um, <clears throat> interest rates, you know, risk of a recession, all the things that we were dealing with, but you also had, you didn't have enough time really to measure what was happening in 2021. And so 
people were a little, buyers were more skeptical and much guarded as far as moving forward in those directions. But now we've kind of gone past that. Sure. And, and coming out of that, Blake, I want to ask you a little bit about ASC valuations at, at, at a high level, uh, you know, from our audience that, that doesn't talk about M&A and valuation every day. What are some of the key high level factors that go into ASC valuations? Sure. No, great question. Uh, so first of all, let's, let's say a traditional transaction. You, you've got a, a company that we feel, let's say we've got maybe 10 surgeons on board. Uh, they're producing, you know, let's, let's say $40 million, $45 million in revenue with an EBITDA of somewhere maybe around six, $7 million. Um, you know, for the sake of, of math here, we'll say $5 million EBITDA, uh, which is probably a little bit higher with that kind of revenue. But what, what you see, the higher the, the higher the revenue that you're going to have with the center, typically the higher the valuation is going to be and the higher the multiple for that valuation. Because an investor knows they're going to not only make their money back, but they can make it back quicker. And they can, you know, it's, it's going to be a greater valuation as far as multiple. So, you know, when you're starting to see things of valuation of 60, 80, 100 million dollars, you're starting to really look at some high multiples of EBITDA. We're talking seven, eight, nine, ten sometimes, you know, when you start really dissecting it. When you start looking at smaller surgery centers, let's say it's five million dollars, six million dollars in revenue, maybe one million and a half, two million in EBITDA, maybe it's one or two positions. Typically, those are still very well desired, but they're going to be a little more conservative on the valuation because any buyer is going to see this as a little more risk. You've maybe got two physicians, three physicians. You know, what's the chances of maybe they take some chips off the table, they roll back 20%, but at the same time, maybe they go a little soft. Maybe they don't want to work as hard as they did. Maybe one wants to retire. That's one third or two thirds of your entire workforce. So it has more risk in it. And of course, being less revenue, you're going to have less money built up on that as far as in the next two to three years when they may want to turn that over or flip it. A lot of times a private equity group will come in, they'll roll back money, they want to maintain that, that workforce that's there, and then they'll grow it uh, maybe two, three, four times, and then they can flip it to a strategic. And that's when a strategic will come in because typically they have a higher level of discretion on what they will purchase. They like a little bit higher number of revenue, a little more certainty to acquire them. And so that's that's typically the kind of the standard, if you will. Um, sometimes it's broken, sometimes it's not. But for the most part, that's pretty much the standard that you see as far as how valuations are done. So A, uh, higher earnings of ASCs, good EBITDA run well, are going to always bring higher multiples. Uh, lower uh, revenue, maybe under 10 millions revenue, they're going to have a little bit lower multiple, but still greatly desired. It really has a lot to do with the stability of the position force that you have on hand. Great. And so it sounds kind of at the highest level, it's the, the EBITDA, you know, which is kind of a proxy for the profitability of the facility and, and some kind of multiple on that, which at a high level, you know, might be in the seven to 10, 10X range. So they get that right? That's correct. That's right. And and again, the higher usually the valuation that comes out with the with the ASC, typically the higher the multiple will be for that ASC. Yep, that makes sense. One thing you mentioned earlier, Blake, that I want to kind of circle back to, is this concept or this term strategic partner. And I hear this this term strategic partner thrown out there 
Um, and I feel like sometimes it can mean different things, or sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. In the case of ASCs in the MS in the MA landscape that we're talking about, what does strategic partner typically mean? What does that mean to you? It, it, it's a great question. And sometimes I use it for two two different definitions. One, we could say strategic buyer is typically a very specific buyer that is very much in the ASC space. They are your, you know, without naming them, you know who they are, the big players out there. And those people come in and they are looking at to add an ASC. And they're going to add it to the portfolio. They have a very uh, a very good pulse on the landscape, the, the geographics, uh, the circumstances within that location. And they want to they want to, they want a footprint. They want to be able to get some access there. They probably have maybe they're working and partnering with a hospital system. So they they have a very good plan about how they come in. And they a lot of times they like to do like a 49, 51%, uh, 49% position on 51% and this part of it. That's what they do. I've worked with those companies before. And maybe they even partner with a hospital system for you know, supply chain, you know, reductions and payer, network payer reductions uh, and rates. So that is really kind of the definition of a strategic. It's a very specific company. That's what they do. So you know those names out there when you say them, you know, you you know who they are and that's what they then you've got um, PE groups and other groups like that that you may be utilizing that may be in that lane, but they're kind of a platform. They're building a platform that do some add-ons to it, and they do like to roll over, of course. They really like the team to stay on board, um, and then they're usually going to, within three to five years, they're going to flip it usually maybe to a strategic for another sale. So they built it up. Maybe it wasn't quite ready for that strategic or for whatever reason was being passed on a strategic. They're going to fill in all the holes, fill in all the gaps, get it perfect, and then usually they'll sell it off. They usually don't maintain it for a long, long period of time. So that's kind of the difference in those two. Now, when I use the word strategic, sometimes I'm referring to meaning what's right for you, what's right for that buyer. Um, and sometimes it is a PE, sometimes it is a big strategic buyer. And, you know, and that all depends on what the positions, the owners at that time want. I mean, if they want to stay on board, and they want to be a part of this and they want to grow it. And maybe they're not quite meeting the revenue standards that can. Uh, and they want to have a lot of control over the process and control over it afterwards. Maybe the best thing would be a, a great private equity group to come in. A strategic, just, you know, by rule, typically they kind of have a very well oiled process. But, and, and although you may be very much a part of that process, they're going to pretty much take over a lot of the overall operations and everything completely. Now, yeah. some, some position groups, that's great. They're, they don't want to do it. Right. But some don't want to lose that control. So this is why, you know, bringing in a company like Vertes is important because everyone talks about valuation. Everyone talks about what I'm going to do for my company. But at the end of the day, those valuations, when you narrow it down to three or four of those buyers, they're going to be so close. That, mm -hmm. That's all going to be relevant. It's it's going to be how that money's paid out. Is it earn out, things like that, how much you cash it flows. Those things are all negotiable, and you're going to get tight with all those factors. What's different is the terms, the terms of it. So what does that mean as far as what's the rollover percentage? What's going to be the, the, the um, you know, employment agreements for each one of these positions? Are you going to keep the existing operators on board? Uh, you know, what's, are, the, are you going to put someone on the board? Are you going to make sure you have certain control facets in this? You know, so can, do you have a say-so when this gets sold to who that buyer may be? 
those are all terms that have to be negotiated that makes a big difference sometimes between a real strategic buyer and maybe a property equity. And I'm not pro or bar either one because I think they both fit with that right seller. But it's making sure you navigate through those waters and you don't drown in the process of getting through it and, and find the right person that works best for you. Yeah, th th those seem like really important considerations because as you said, valuations, valuation, that, that's an important part of it. But a lot of times in this ASC space, these physicians, these physician owners are, are staying involved in some, some form or fashion. And a lot of times kind of highly involved. And so the go forward operating model, the, the ownership structure, the, the governance structure, the operational processes and, and the people, it seems like it can kind of vary widely depending on the, the type of partner or the type of investor. True. And, and always remember, I always tell my physicians or the owners of the, of the ASCs, the, the best part about the valuation and the, the money that we come to is going to be the, when you close and you see that money hit your account. However, the terms are what you're going to live with every day for the next years to come by. Yeah. And so that, that really is more important when it comes down to it because those that valuation is going to be very close no matter who you choose. It's going to be very close if you're running, you know, if you're running a, a really good tight bidding process through, which is what we do a really good job with. But those terms is what you're going to have to really negotiate and make sure you don't have any, you know, potholes down the road that you see that, uh, like you say, the fine print. Make sure we've gone through all this process, and that's 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 what's going to get you through it and make you a happy exchange down the road. Yep. You mentioned earlier some of the potential benefits of taking on a, an investor or strategic partner. You mentioned, hey, this can be a good way for owners to take chips off the table. This can be a good way to um, change the capitalization of the ASC to allow for kind of partner retirement or, or kind of you know ownership changes. It, it can fuel and help fuel and fund growth. And so I see a lot of those as, as, as great positives for taking on a strategic partner. What are some of the drawbacks um, that, that folks should maybe look out for? No, it's good. And we go through this with, with everybody who's looking to sell. We kind of do the pros and cons and, you know, what you're looking for specifically. Once we know what their goal is, you know, one year, three year, five year. And to your point, if, you, if you're if you looking at a model and you're looking at ASC and you're saying, wow, okay, you guys have done phenomenal work. I think, you know, we can find, what do you want to stay on board? Yes, we want to stay on board. Okay, here's here's the benefits we can find. We can probably get you X amount by the valuation. We feel like this is what the market's yielding. Now you're looking at maybe the right type of partner, whether it be the strategic buyer, the PE buyer, where it may be. And I think the things that we say is, what do you want? What do you want out of this after the acquisition? And then let me tell you what you're going to probably be able to maintain if you take if we look down this direction, and what you're going to lose if we go down this direction. And sometimes the losses are not truly losses. I mean, they're, they're things that they don't want to deal with anymore. You know, like I told them, if you're spending 10%, 15% of your time playing HR manager, that, that's not something you want to deal with anymore. But at the same time, there's sometimes this loyalty to a lot of, it, uh, of the staff, employees, they've been with them for a long time. And especially if they're like office managers in certain positions, well, sometimes large strategies will come in and they've got people in place for that. So they may not need that position. So these are very candid conversations you need to have. The other thing, too, is if you've maybe used special vendors and you've had different things that you've done a bit able or certain arrangements that you've worked out through the years. Well, when you go into that large one size fits all, part of our cost savings is we're going to conform 
to, you know, maybe certain, um, you know, certain payers we're going to be more focused on that may eliminate some of your existing clients. Hopefully not. Not the goal, but sometimes it works out that way. Uh, actual supply chain is huge. So maybe if you've got certain uh, certain types of vendors that you've always worked with, but yet we've got such a discount with these vendors, you try to accommodate and maybe the money, the, the, the dollar signs just don't add up. It's, it's a great cost savings to take money off. It's sometimes streamlining the business. There's sometimes there's a lot of waste that you find out. I mean, physicians, for the most part, you know, they go to school not to be, you know, MBAs and, and CPAs. They're there to do other things. And so sometimes you find low-hanging fruit that you need to cut. But that low-hanging fruit's coveted. You know, it's, it's something maybe they like to do. So these are very candid conversations you have to have. I mean, I've, I've seen some I've seen some ACs that throw these really elaborate parties every year for the staff and things like that. And we don't want to take away fun by any means. You want team building, and that's great. But, you know, if you made $2 million last year and you threw a $50,000 party, that's probably a little excessive. You know, so it's just little things like that that you kind of be able to walk through the process with them. But, again, this is, this is kind of – this is the big step of moving to the next level. And these people can get you somewhere that – Apparently, you know, you were not able to get completely on your own, even though you've built a great company. So allow them to do what they do best. And then you kind of go along with the ride and, and you'll be beneficial for it. Yeah, agree with that. You can have a nice party for $50,000. So that's that's good. Um, <laughs> that's actually a true experience. I've seen it before. For position owners that aren't ready to take on a partner or capital, external capital today, but are thinking about it at some point down the line. What should they be thinking about today in terms of getting prepared or maybe future trigger events, which might indicate, hey, this is a good time? No, great question. I think outside the obvious of, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to enlarge your center? Are you trying to improve the quality of, of, of your equipment, um, you know, and, and bring in more qualified staff? Whatever you may be trying to do, what is your purpose? I think once you get that done, I think one of the considerations is, how do you want to mitigate that debt in the sense of trying to reduce it on your, on your standpoint? You know, whenever an acquisition comes up, the first thing we look at is what's debt. And that debt comes off the top of whatever they're paying, right? Mm -hmm. It is a clean deal when you do a deal. So if you buy a company for $10, $10 million, and yet they've got $2, $2 million of, of debt that they have, that $2 million comes off. So mm -hmm. that is something that you always want to make sure that you're looking at as far as considering it if you're going to move into it. If you want to spend a lot of money on that debt, then sometimes finding that partnership may be something you want to move before that happens. Um, unless it's impeding you from, obviously, revenue opportunities, I mean, that might be a different story. But with that being said, you do want to have that partner come in because that's when you would want to acquire that debt because now you're sharing that debt. And that debt's going to be filtered into the overall valuation plan and the performa moving forward. So that's going to be, you know, it's going to be capitalized through maybe five, seven years. And so that's what, how I think I would probably best look at it unless it's something you have to have, you know, in order to perform and do the things you're doing to do. Uh, because again, you're taking all that on yourself and you're just going to devalue that. You're going to recap that into so many years over time, but that's going to be completely on you when you go to move forward you know, with an acquisition. So why not try to take some of that off the table immediately, don't utilize it and have that be part of the deal, basically part of the negotiation factor moving forward about what is needed to help grow this company. And if you're working with a large company 
professional PE firm or a large strategic group, they're going to know this too. I mean, they're, they're going to understand these are important factors. So the right, let's say the right one is. So they're going to know it's important factors to go forward. So these are all part of the process of finding the right partner. And I, I think if you can save some of that initially, that's just less money. You know, it, it's kind of like building a house and you add a bunch of stuff to your house that brings no value to it. And it just, it just, and you borrowed against your house to build it. And unfortunately, you know, it's going to be a loss of what you're going to collect. So it's kind of the same principle. I just want to be careful. Got it. Final question for you here, Blake. We do this every week with our guests. What's one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery centers? Well, I, I think as a former clinician myself, and, and I, I think it's always do no harm. Uh, make sure you're always working to provide the best services for your patient. Uh, you're monitoring uh, compliance risk. You know, you're addressing wrongs. You're addressing all the things that need to be done. If, you know, protect your staff that are your great staff that you may have. Professional uh, nurses, techs are, are worth their weight in gold, as we all know right now. Uh, you know, take care of your staff. Keep them there. Uh, working a bunch of contract people, and it, not that we, we've all done it, but it's not the same thing as having people who you know you can rely on, depend on. Um, I think that's that's the two factors. So if you're taking care of your patients, you're doing everything right, you're farming everything safe, I do truly believe a lot of the, the revenue and things will come. And it's just keeping mitigating that process and understanding it. Don't, you know, get what you need to get. Um Buy what you need to to enhance your business. And if you find yourself in a position where, as a physician, that I, I have a harder time getting in the OR than I did before, then, again, start thinking about how you can change that. And sometimes it can be some internal processes, and sometimes it can be what we, we started our topic about is maybe I need to find a partner to take some of these operational and HR components and, and some of the things that I find myself being entangled in every day off the table. So I can spend more time doing what I went to you know, 15, 20 years of school to do and focus on that. And I think that to me is just a factor of quality of life. And it, it also helps mitigate, like I said, a lot of the pressures that everybody has to go through when you're running these surgery centers that are very complicated. And there's a lot of process to get them right. Have someone else take some of that burden off of you. And I, you know, and look, a happier, a happier surgeon is a happier center. So, you know, I think sometimes that's sometimes the best combination. Fantastic. Blake, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Nick. Appreciate it. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. First, happy National Nurses Month. I know we're at the end of the months, but it is never too late. Um, every May, the American Nurses Association recognizes the exceptional work um, of nurses across the country uh, with their annual Nurses Month celebration. Now, hopefully this is old news and you have um, been celebrating all the nurses in your life so far, but um, the theme for 2023 is You Make a Difference, which is designed to highlight the many roles played by nurses in the healthcare system. ANA organized the month into four weekly focus areas, uh, self-care, recognition, professional development, and community engagement. 
Um, so naturally, the ANA offers a lot of suggestions on how you can celebrate this month, but you can also use these ideas anytime during the year as well. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that the ANA has a nine-part gratitude podcast with tools to help make gratitude a daily practice. Um, but they also suggested you can request a proclamation from your local elected officials or state government that declares May as National Nurses Month. Um, you can consider hosting a media event to highlight the roles nurses play in the community or bestowing an honorary nursing title to deserving community leader. Um, they also have a ton of resources and a full toolkit right on their website. So we will put a link to that in the episode notes as well. Uh, so whether you are a nurse or just know somebody who is, uh, take the time this May to recognize the incredible work that nurses do every day. And thank you, nurses, for, for everything. The May edition of ASC Focus came out a, f a few weeks earlier this month. And as always, there are a lot of insightful articles, but one that caught my eye um, that I want to talk about today was all about the use of regional anesthesia. I know that this could be a hot topic with lots of differing opinions, uh, so much so that at the ASCA conference a few weeks ago, they actually had a dedicated session to it. Um, but for this article, a few different ASC leaders were interviewed, and they all shared the same sentiment. By being able to use regional anesthesia, they have been able to increase the number of case uh, cases performed, change the types of services that they provide, shorten post-anesthesia care time, reduce the use of narcotics, and most importantly, reduce post-operative pain for patients. Um, I'm going to run through a quick list of tips that they uh, the article suggested, but I do highly recommend reading this article in detail. Um, it's really a good one. So if you have not started using regional anesthesia yet but are considering it, here are a few tips. Um, find the right anesthesiologist. Secure surgeon buy-in. Provide the block in pre-op in order to maximize OR time. Prioritize patient education, but uh, do not pressure them if they're not comfortable. Stay current as advancements are rolling out all the time. And lastly, just consider this an opportunity and stay open-minded. So to learn even more, we'll link the article in our episode notes as well. In our third story, we are talking about AI again. I feel like we have an article, something else is going on every week about this. Um, but in the world of medical imaging, Google is back at it again, and they are making another big leap forward with its AI technology. The company recently announced that it has developed an AI-powered image analysis tool that can be used in a variety of medical imaging applications. Uh, the goal is that it can recognize and analyze images of various body parts from x-rays to MRIs um, and provide detailed information to doctors and medical professionals. Um, it's not intended to replace anything, um, but just to help identify and diagnose conditions more quickly and accurately, leading to better patient outcomes. Um, so while Google's tool is still in the early stages of development, it has the potential to revolutionize the field of medical imaging uh, by making it easier and faster for doctors to analyze images and diagnose conditions. Um, the tool could help improve patient outcomes and reduce healthcare costs. Um, so as the technology continues to develop, it will be interesting to see how it is integrated into the healthcare system and what new applications it will enable. 
Um, so if you are using AI at all right now, I would love for you to hop over to um, HSC Pathways LinkedIn page um, and find this blog post or find this um, LinkedIn post. It'll be at the top um, and just leave a comment on um, if you're using it, how you're using it, um, and maybe some ideas for how you think it might be used in the future. And to end our new segment on a positive note, the FDA on May 3rd approved the first vaccine to prevent RSV, a milestone in the search for a way to protect people from the virus. The shot was developed by the pharmaceutical company GSK, and a Pfizer vaccine for pregnant women and the elderly is nearing approval. Most people with RSV report having mild to moderate cold symptoms, but older people are more vulnerable, and every year, more than 60,000 American seniors uh, end up in the hospital because of RSV. It can also be really serious for babies, which is how I usually um, think about it, Um, and those who struggle to breathe are often hospitalized um, in intensive care units because of RSV. So this is amazing news that a vaccine has been approved and we'll be keeping a close eye on this story as always. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you as always for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next week.